So we've looked at why evangelicals might consider a financial boycott of their church, along with certain Christian media companies and schools. In the conclusion of this series, we turn our attention to two more evangelical industries that you might want to take a second look at when it comes to doling out your dollars. Christian business, other than media. You've got to love the not-so-secretive code sign, the Jesus fish. Ah, yes, just subtly slap that baby on your company truck, business card, or website, and your prospective evangelical customer is sure to get the message. Have us mow your lawn, do that kitchen remodel, or cater that wedding, so long as you're not gay. And you can be sure that your money isn't going to support some pagan business that is probably operating unethically because the owner doesn't have Jesus in his or her heart. But don't make the mistake of assuming that the sell of religiously superior ethics is the only thing in mind when it comes to most evangelical leaders in the marketplace. No, there is a far greater cause that has been cemented into the psyche of many Christian businessmen and women. Make sure you check out a previous article I wrote that looks at the evangelical idol of power. This piece includes an especially revealing video made to inspire Christians to take back the seven mountains of culture. In it, there is a particular emphasis on Christians reclaiming leadership in the domain of business so as to effectively resource the effort to return America to its Christian heritage. Whether stated explicitly or not, this is one of the chief visions fueling this call to join the cadre of Christian capitalists, perhaps only eclipsed by stories of saving lost souls through a God-style economy. You can find fellowship in this effort through one of any number of Christian business associations, like the Christian Business Network, Christian Business Fellowship, or Convene. The fact that the old religious rights culture war narrative is lurking not too far below the surface of these networks of success-hungry crusaders is made pretty obvious when the homepage of the Northern California Christian Business Directory features a video promoting the Genesis Apologetics app. This mobile tool will help equip your good Christian teens to pretend like they know what they are talking about in the fight against public school teachers and their evil doctrine of evolution. But let's get back to ethics, where I am sure that the Bible has something to say about things like fair wages, or that Jesus taught his disciples to not embrace violence. Among a list of household name companies that are owned by the devout, most of them evangelical Christians, there are some interesting practices that make you wonder if the scriptures are their final rule for faith and practice. Like Chick-fil-A chairman and CEO Dan Cathy, who has a net worth of $3.8 billion. And yet, according to Glassdoor, his average entry-level employee makes $8 to $9 an hour, and a store general manager pulls in just $49,500 annually. That's paycheck-to-paycheck paycheck in public benefits territory. Or take the maker of rifle scopes, Trigicon, whose revenue, by the way, comes in part from supplying the U.S. military. It made some news a while back when it came out that Bible verses were subtly inscribed on their products. Yes, now you can love your enemies by blowing a hole in their head through the sight of your high-quality, scripture-emblazoned Trigicon scope. These and a myriad of other hypocrisy-ridden companies that are supposed to be built on the bedrock principles of God's Word are, in my opinion, not worthy of your business. Let's turn to safer territory, literally. What about evangelical humanitarian organizations who are often seeking to undo the effects of greed and war? As most of you are aware, I previously worked for World Relief, an organization that serves as the humanitarian arm of the National Association of Evangelicals. They, along with many other evangelical relief and development organizations, are chocked full of amazingly compassionate and creative people who are daily evidencing a true love of neighbors. 
But that doesn't mean that they are not infected with the idols of evangelicalism and therefore in need of substantial reform. And as we said in part one, economic withdrawal is the most effective way to achieve this kind of change. So I suggest that evangelical Christians who are grieved by the same things that I am may want to reconsider their generous contributions to some of these organizations. I'll give two examples of grievous practices that warrant a retraction of financial support. The first example is proselytizing. Among many, if not all, of these organizations is some level of exploitation of uniquely vulnerable people for the purpose of winning converts. This is something I previously covered in a piece entitled Evangelical Ambulance Chasing. The second thing is intolerant hiring practices. It was indeed a sad day when one of the largest global evangelical humanitarian organizations, World Vision, folded under the threat of economic withdrawal by the religious right, and reversed what would have been a morally courageous decision to openly hire members of the LGBTQ community. Or in my time at World Relief, I found it to be a violation of the character of Christ and an embrace of the paranoia of conservative evangelicals to, as a matter of policy, deny Muslims the opportunity to work with the organization, even though it was tasked with serving predominantly Muslim refugees. I also feel that while currently legally allowable, this is a violation of the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. You can find more of my thoughts on this in the two-part series on the public subsidization of religion. As you consider supporting humanitarian organizations with an evangelical affiliation, you have every right to investigate whether these and other policies and practices born of ignorance or bigotry are present before you write that next check. As we conclude, remember that just because you have chosen to not personally support a local, national, or international evangelical nonprofit, whether humanitarian or educational, you may be indirectly resourcing them through your church, so make sure your congregation has thoroughly vetted its ministry partners. You may find that you are indirectly resourcing an organization that is violating values that are important to you. For example, if you are here in Sacramento, you may be attending one of the over 100 churches that financially support William Jessup University which, as we discussed earlier, is a school whose leadership is blatantly embracing the idols of power and superiority. If that is the case, it's yet another reason to reduce or withhold your tithe. In the end, the congregation, like Congress, holds the power of the purse. Individually and collectively, exercise your rights and responsibilities as true principled disciples. Give only to that in which you truly believe. Thank you for listening to this podcast, and remember that you can check out more of my takes on faith, social justice, and pop culture, along with other life-inspired musings by visiting www.curtelewis.com. If you enjoyed and benefited from this and other publications featured on my website, would you take a few minutes to show your support? First, you can share it with your friends via social media, text message, email, word of mouth, pigeon bird, cave art, whichever you prefer. Second, if you're listening on iTunes, take a few seconds to subscribe to this podcast and to give it a positive review. Lastly, you can help me to continue to produce these podcasts by making a monthly or one-time financial contribution. Click on support on the website to learn more. Again, thanks so much for listening.